Uh, next couple other things I want you to know. Next week is Labor Day weekend. Can anyone, does that seem too fast for anyone other than me? Uh, so you have 100 shopping days till Christmas. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know when Christmas is, but it's coming. Uh, Labor Day is next week. Uh, we do a, something on Labor Day. We do one service at 10 a.m. So that does mean you are the people who have to come a little bit early. So a uh, half hour early for you next week. We're starting at 10 a.m. It's one service. We'll use our overflow outside. We'll use another room to make sure there's space for everybody. But this is our way of interacting with each other. And if you're interested in being baptized, uh, we'll have that available next week as well. If you are, you can go to respond.church and let us know uh, you're interested in being baptized. And that's a spot you can always go to to sign up for events like the men's fishing trip, which is in two weeks. Uh, you can go to respond, uh, dot, ju- respond at church to sign up for that as well. Uh, so next week, we have the one service. And after the service, our men's ministry is putting on a lunch for you. They have some pulled pork going on smokers. Not yet. It'll be next week. They'll put it on there. But uh, so they'll have smoked pulled pork and some other food that they're putting on for you. I don't even know what they're cooking, but it's going to be great. So there you go. Next week, mark your calendar for that. Uh, we are going to move on. I want to invite up Justin Howe. Come on up here, Justin. We have been doing a series here in the month of August where we are highlighting areas where people are volunteering and, and involved in the church. And Justin, maybe you've seen him around. He runs our tech on Sunday mornings. He actually grew up here as a student and helps out in student ministries as well. But tell us a little bit about your journey of volunteering and why you do it. So there you go. Yeah, absolutely. Good morning, everyone. Uh, as Ryan said, my name is Justin Houck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Love you too, Kobe. And uh, yeah, I have been coming to Seacoast for forever now since I was in first grade with Mrs. Rubin. Uh, So it's been a long time uh, that that Seacoast has been my home church. And uh, yeah, I currently lead the tech team as well as, uh, as you heard earlier, I volunteer with the student ministries team as well. I'm the junior high guys leader. And that is just, yeah, absolutely. Let's go. A wild bunch for sure. They just left to go to their program, which is fine, so I can't, I can't embarrass them by calling them out. But, yeah, so I first got introduced to service actually through one of Dale's sermons when he was uh, the lead pastor here. He was talking about uh, the different kind of steps it takes to go from a fan of Jesus or a seeker of Jesus to a follower of Jesus. And he had a chart, as Dale always has, and um, the chart kind of detailed several different uh, parts about being a Christian, so... Uh, how you look, or um, how you view Jesus, and how do I come to worship? And one of the ones, one of the points that he had was, why do I serve? And the first section, the seeker of Jesus said, I serve to impress. I serve to impress others. And then from there, a new believer goes to, I serve to please. I serve to please, uh, please others. And then it kept on going on past that to, I serve to help. I serve to impact. I serve to make an impact and impact others. And that, that's where I thought, it would end. But it actually continues one more. And it was, I serve as an act of worship. And this was a completely new like idea to me, being freshman year of high school, sitting back over there in the corner, half paying attention on my phone. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that service could be glorifying to God. Our, our service is used as your act of worship. And so I was involved over with the high school ministry. Matt Carlson got me into tech. At first, I just kind of liked all the colorful buttons, and I liked being <laughs> in control. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, I just loved the way that he was able to create this awesome event environment and this awesome environment for students to come over and be students. 
And through that process and through kind of discovering what it meant to serve to glorify God, I discovered that it wasn't just about that, but it was about creating an environment for worship, for others to um, come and, yeah, <laughs> for others to come and to get close to God, to learn and discover Christ, to grow in their faith, but not just for others, for me as well. And so through that, with Matt and Joe Fogel, who was the next um, high school ministry pastor, I kind of branched over to worship team and to announcements and eventually went off to college. And I spent the first semester not really in any type of ministry service, but um, more kind of getting used to the college environment and um, also uh, kind of just seeing what groups were available. And I eventually decided to go to Crew Campus Crusade for Christ and I went to large group my first week of second semester, and then the second week I was the MC. <laughs> so I kind of threw myself into the deep end, <laughs> and uh, I don't know how exactly it happened. Uh, apparently one of the leaders liked my Bible reading voice in community <laughs> group, and so they're like, you'd be great, and then threw me up there. Uh, we won't do that to you, I promise. Uh, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so that was fun, and then through there I had opportunities to lead the weekly meeting team as well as the shepherd team which was uh, discipling others as well as being discipled myself. And all of that discipling uh, really just had a tremendous impact on me and all of the service in general because I got to meet and interact with so many different people who I never would have talked to hmm. before. Um, I was like, I would welcome people coming in and get to hear their stories and they would get to hear my stories and we would you know, reminisce on the stuff we had in common but learn through the stuff that we had different or the differences that we had. And just service in general has been such a blessing to me, uh, firstly to be a blessing to others and to provide here, provide this environment for worship that others can learn and grow, but also just to um, see how others have poured into me, like people that I will lead or just students in general, how they've poured into me and my peers that I'm serving with, hearing their stories and learning through the things that they've learned. And so that's just been truly a blessing overall for service. That's amazing, Justin. So a few things that I love is, one, you're a ninth grader who was paying attention to a sermon. That's pretty, that's pretty good. <laughs> Student section, what's up? Yeah. Uh, so, and, and that you responded. And I love hearing that you grew, that part of service was part of your discipleship and all those people that spoke in your life. would love to hear that. Yeah. So tell us, what's the steps we can take now as a church? Yeah, absolutely. So speaking more to the worship and creative arts, the teams that Dom and I lead, uh, there's obviously worship, the worship band, and we absolutely need more people for worship. Uh, singers, any type of musician, if you have any musical ability, we would love to get you up here on stage to worship with you and to have you lead others in worship and share your gifts and use it all for the glory of God. And then my personal favorite, the tech team. Um, yeah, we, we really work on creating this environment with the lighting, with the slides, with the sound, and online too, creating another worship space online and another worship space outside and trying to do what we can to uh, make sure that people that are present in those environments also have a good experience. Yes, I'm the one typing to you in chat. <laughs> but you know, it's also great because you can engage in people watching and if you see someone on your phone, you know, you can see what game they're playing. And, uh, <laughs> that would never happen. No, 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 never. no. no. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's tech, the whole tech world can seem really complicated and understand the programs that we use and all these things, but it really boils down to just buttons and pushing slides. <laughs> we'll do all the hard work involved that we just need people back there to run it. And a lot of the other ministries with Seacoast are that way too. 
it's just, we just need people to come be present and to just, uh, they don't have, you don't have to do much of the work <laughs> of the planning side, but just be present, be present with like your target audience with greeting or with kids or with students or just uh, with the uh, whole service in general. And um, yeah, we also have announcements people. We don't want Ryan to have to come up and do announcements every time. That's <laughs> yeah, good. But um, we'd love to hear from you. Have you come up here, welcome, greet people, say announcements. And also a team that we're working on building up more recently has been the media and video team. Uh, we're looking for uh, people that are either gifted in videography and filmography and would be willing to help us capture some things for the weekly current, for event recaps, so pictures at events or videos, and just other areas that we have that type of ministry. So if any of this interests you, you know, particularly the worship and creative arts, come to me and Dom, but I just want to challenge you to uh, go to the lunch lunch, and if any type of service is interesting to you, and you just want to hear more about it, we're going to have a rally. Brian's going to rally us for this coming year. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a fun time. Um, and I just wanted to highlight something awesome and communicate something awesome to you guys that's happened over the past month uh, with student ministries. We have had 13 students come and step up into leadership positions within student ministry. And so they're partnering with us volunteer leaders and they're leading games, they're leading the announcements talking, they're welcoming students, they're sitting, out or sitting outside in the parking lot with signs, holding up, greeting everyone, set up, planning events and everything. So it's been, yeah. Shout out to you guys, students over there. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And well, so, yeah. Uh, Justin, I, we appreciate you and what you do. I don't know if you guys realize our tech team, they do so much. And I think if they didn't show up, Dom and I would just sit up here with a couple chairs and be like, oh, let's just, we're unplugged today. So we appreciate everything that you do for not this, just this environment, but also in the students. And thank you for your heart that shines through. So let's thank him for what he does every week. We're going to continue on with our uh, morning, and with, with, you got 10 seconds, turn and look at someone next to you, say good morning, don't get up, just turn in your chair, say good morning as we transition. So I have a question for us to think about here today, a few questions. As I was thinking through uh, how we end this series, uh, this is what I've been wrestling with this week. What if we actually believed about God what we say we believe? What if we actually believed that the creator of the universe was present among us? What if, what if when we came here, we actually came in with this expectation and this belief that we walked in not just to a space, but, but God was here, present? What if we actually believed what we read in Scripture, that the church, this gathering of people that are loyal to him, that are called out, what if we believed that when he says that you are my plan A, that the church was intentionally designed to go and to bring the hope of Jesus to the world, what if we actually believed that that's how it worked? That when we read in Scripture of how God's called the church, what if we read that and said, oh, this, this is life-changing? 
What if we actually believe that everyone who's in Christ, who's given their life to Christ, we actually believe that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in them, as we're told in Scripture? That, that means the people next to you that you don't understand, the people who vote differently than you, the people who are from a different culture, a different background, that in Christ, that the Holy Spirit dwells in them. What if we actually believe that about one another? Would things be different? What if we actually believe that when Jesus said for his final words to go into all the nations and make disciples, what if we actually believe that that's what he wanted us to do? What, what if we said, oh, the creator of the universe who stepped into human flesh to live among us so that we can give himself for us so that we didn't have to die for our sins, and then he empowered us with his spirit, and the very last words he gives to us before he departs, the, the, the final things that he said, he said a lot of stuff, and he said, okay, I'm about to go. Here's what I want you to do. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations. What if we actually said, yeah, maybe that's what he meant. These are questions that I've been wrestling with this week, and I don't really like any of them because they're hard. Because I wonder how many times we even step into a prayer time and we start praying and it's just, okay, God, here's some things. But we forget that we're speaking to the one who made it all. Or when we gather together on a Sunday morning, maybe we gather together and it's church and you think, okay, I can do this. We can fit it in as long as I can get done on time. And, but our expectation is just that we're fulfilling some sort of good thing, a cultural thing, but we don't show up and say, wow. This is, God did this on purpose. He called us and designed us to gather together in our imperfections and walk with each other in our junk and stuff of life and to care for one another and bear one another's burdens and, and walk with each other and also that the world can see the hope that I have and, and want to bring because of Jesus. What if when we came, our expectation was, oh, these are my brothers and sisters and some of them are kind of weird and if you don't think any of them are, you are the weird one. But they're looking at you and saying that. But what if we came and said, oh, this is my weird little family. But God put us together on purpose. This wasn't just something flippant. And then when we think about this, what we call a great commission, go and make disciples, we said, oh, this is, this is actually, he meant this. He didn't just say it because he had to fulfill some publisher's obligation of a certain amount of words. It was, no, no, I, I mean this. Wow, what would be different? It's quite an intro, huh? It's the, the cute little story to start off the sermon here today. We're finishing our series today called, in the series that we're talking about the church, the ecclesia called to be different. It means it's this group of people we've been studying that are loyal to Jesus, who are called out for a purpose. We're rooted and, and grounded in the person and work of Christ. We're together in unity, but we're for a mission. And today we're looking at the idea of the church is we're together on mission. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're new to scripture, it's, it's near the back in the Old, uh, New Testament. 
It's a letter written by Paul to a, book of, uh, to a church in Corinth in ancient Greece. If you're tapping your way there, tap your way there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And as you go there, let's pray. God, we thank you that today we believe that you are present among us. Lord, and I thank you that as we look into your word, that these are words that were inspired and they were handed down and they were given to us. And they, they're, they're just, it's not on accident. And I thank you that you give us access into seeing your heart and seeing what you want for us. And I pray, Lord, today that you would open our hearts and our minds to you. And God, would you shape us and change us by your truth because of what you have done. As we look into your word, Lord, let that word shape us, convict us, challenge us, and make us new. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, when I was thinking about what does it mean to be on mission, I was reminded, you know, I, I kind of lived all over the country and parts of the world, and one of the places I lived was in Minnesota. And uh, one thing about Minnesota, if you know anything about it, is it's cold there in the winter. That's, that's all you need to know for about six months of the year. And uh, we lived uh, by my elementary school, which in my mind was like a mile and a half away that I had to walk there all the time. I think it's probably two blocks. But so... But by my elementary school, there was a little pond, and in the winter, it froze over, and they made it into an ice skating rink. But there was a closer pond in, near my house, and in the summer is where you go. You'd catch frogs, throw things in it, all that kind of stuff that you would do as a kid. But in the winter, it'd be frozen over. And every once in a while, we would decide as the neighborhood kids, and I grew up in an environment that was kind of like watching the movie Sandlot or something like that was my childhood. There was every house had a kid and we were up to something. Nobody had parents. We don't know where the parents were or what they did. There's just the Charlie Brown, Brown voice every once in a while. Like, wah, wah, is that a, an, adult, an adult? Anyway, so that was our, our childhood. That's what it felt like. And we had this mission that we would go on when we when they'd get the snow on, this, on these lakes is we decided we were going to play hockey on the lakes. And so to clear off a, a pond, you, it's not a one-man job. So everyone would grab their snow shovels. We'd go down there, and you'd start shoveling off this, this pond to make it a hockey rink. And some of you might be thinking, oh, is this story? Where's the story going? Did you fall through? I did fall through, but not on this story. So that was a different one. But so we would, we cleared off, but it was, it was this mission that we were on because we wanted to play hockey. And there was probably only like two of us who could skate well enough to actually play hockey. The rest would run around on their shoes or sometimes just kind of fall. But that was, that was the goal. And I think a lot of times we never ended up playing hockey. We just made a hockey rink. But I just remember as kids, when, you got, when we got something in our minds, if there was a mission, that was what it was all about for the next week, right? Some of you might remember that about childhood. We're going to make a fort, and that was all you're about. And I was thinking about that. What is the difference between a mission that succeeds and a mission that doesn't go anywhere? And for us to have a successful hockey rink, it took the whole group together in on it. It couldn't have been one, you are the one who shoveled, the rest of us will go collect the pucks and we'll be ready. Like, no, we all had to shovel. We all had to be in it. And every mission to be successful is the people a part of it had to be together in on it. And when we've been studying the church and the mission that Jesus gives to us, he says, go into all the nations and make disciples. A few people, just if a few people do that, it's not going to be a successful mission. 
That it's, we're invited together to participate in what God wants to do. And I believe in this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to find some hints, some truth that will help us to understand what does it look like to be with God on mission. So join with me. Let's go in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, we're actually going to pick it up in verse 11 for the sake of time today. And the previous verses, Paul's kind of talking about his life with, with the people in Corinth and saying, hey, you know our lives. We live by faith and not by sight. We trust what God is doing. And now verse 11 He says, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Since we've been changed by this truth and we know what it means to to fear the Lord and be changed by his grace, we want to persuade others in that truth. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you, but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those questions who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. So he's saying, hey, there's some some people not sure what are we doing, we're planting, we're building this church, and we want you to know that what we're doing, this is of God, this is his work, and sometimes it's not just what you see. I love how he even writes in verse 13, if we're out of our minds, (laughs) I like that, as some might say, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, well, then that's for you. So I I love even that description. You might have been called out of your mind in some of your families. I know some of your stories. When you tell them you're a follower of Jesus, your family looks at you and says, oh, you're out of your mind. Paul says, yeah, so am I for Christ. Verse 14. So he sets all that up and he says this. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all have died In other words, that through Christ, that we all have, our sins are all taken care of. And Christ died for all, that those who live shall no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Gosh, even this verse alone, as our teaching team looked at it, and I was thinking about it this week, a couple things in here that was just really convicting. Look at how he starts. Christ's love compels us. This word compel in Greek, actually, it doesn't directly say compel. It's actually to be held down or to be arrested. And it was used as a figure of speech, but it's something that is like you can't get out of this grip. And so therefore, he says, it, this, you can't get away from what Christ's love, when we understand his unconditional love, that it actually forces us to respond. And we're forced to respond in this way. So Paul's saying, this love of Christ compels us. It's the unconditional love of God forces us to do something, to believe and to behave in a new way. And notice what he says. For those of us who understand this, it's no, we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for the one who died for us. I don't know about you, but I don't know what the last time was in my life where I just dwelled on the unconditional love of God And it compelled me or forced me to respond differently. Now, I can explain, oh, yeah, I was thinking about the love of God, so I did this. But but really to dwell on this unconditional love that was poured out, to really dwell on what this means in in a way that I gazed on this truth and this grace and this grandeur of God so much that it just compelled me to be different, to respond differently. I can't. I can't think of a lot of times in my life where I've just sat there and said, oh, my goodness. There have been some, but it's been a while. The question for you today is, when's the last time the unconditional love of Christ compelled you to respond? 
Paul begins with that as he gazes on what God has done for him. Verse 16, he goes on and he says this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. In other words, our minds are being transformed and changed. We're not thinking in, in, about people in a worldly view. We have now this greater, bigger, grander view of God's plan. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. So if we're thinking about together on mission, the first thing that we want to understand is that we're compelled by the love of Christ, the next thing we see is we're empowered by our identity in Christ. Notice what he says. We, we get it now. We no longer look at the, as the world looks at, but we're looking with these new spiritual eyes, and there's, you are a new creation. I think so much of my life when I think of growing in Christ, especially early on, it was about, okay, what do, what do I need to do? And there are things that we do as Christians. I do believe the Christian life has things that this is a way to live. Paul instructs us, shows us so many things. Jesus showed us and modeled the way. I was thinking back to, uh, but sometimes it can just get caught up in this list. And I was thinking back to when I was kind of a new Christian, I was living in Tacoma, Washington, and I, I was a part of this Bible study uh, in the community, and it felt like, I kind of felt like I was on a Disney show, because there was like the diversity in this group, there was like every different person represented, and I was like, you know, the, the young, dumb high school kid uh, right there in it, that was my role, and so, but we gathered, and the guy who led it was this guy named Howard from Howard University, I always remembered it, and there was this other one, he was a, a little bit older than me, he was probably in his 20s, and he was this Chinese-American uh, named Mike, what a great Chinese name, right? And he, uh, he, he reminded me of now Francis Chan, if you know Francis Chan. He sounded like him, talked like him. I didn't know Francis Chan at the time, but Mike was there and had this love of God. And we would talk about what does it mean to be a new creation, and so Mike, just, it just was who he was, that he didn't have to stop and say, what should I do in this moment? Just Christ just spilled out of him. I still vividly, vividly remember, we, we gathered together, and he goes, oh, last week... When I left Bible study, praise God, I found someone stole my hubcaps. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? Hold on, say that sentence again. And for him, he was just like, oh yeah, you know, someone stole my hubcaps, and praise God. I, I, he brought this into my life, and there's got to be a reason. I'm just like, what? Let's go back to the, they stole your hubcaps. First of all, who steals hubcaps? <laughs> but second, like, what? It just flowed out of him. It was as a new creation. To him, it was, well, I don't know. God, God brought that into my life for a reason. So we want to be remembered that we're empowered by our identity in Christ. We want to always go back to what has Christ done? You are a new creation. That is what's true of you. You hear it all the time from us. But when we think of being on mission, we have to know what empowers us. It's not our ability to somehow figure out all the right answers. Our, what empowers us is our identity rooted in what Christ does in and through and around you. Let's go back, verse 18 now. So we're compelled by the unconditional love of Christ. We're empowered by our identity in Christ. And now verse 18, all of this is from God who reconciled to himself, us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. 
So first to understand this, he, Paul writes this in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. He says, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son Jesus. How much more now been reconciled shall we be saved through the life of Christ? See, this word reconcile, when we're using it here, is taking enemies and making them into friends. That's how this word is used in this context. So consider this. Paul's writing is saying, God has taken us as enemies of him and made us now on friendly terms. That's what reconciliation here means. So he says, because of Christ, you now are on friendly terms. You can be on friendly terms with God. That's good news, is it not? And he says, he's committed to us. He's given to us. This ministry, this work of reconciliation, of helping people become friends with God, be at peace with God. Verse 20, what does this look like? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want you to see this. We are therefore, because of what Christ has done, we are his ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We are God's ambassadors. We are the ones who represent him. We have that royal seal on us. When we go to places, our diplomatic passport says, In Christ which means that we go and we represent the kingdom of God to the world around us. Do you understand the weight of that? That's a pretty good passport, by the way. It won't get you into any real borders, but this passport is you are in Christ. That's who you represent. That's who you work for. You're ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. You're appointed as ambassadors. God's making his appeal to the world, telling the world, hey, there's a better way. There's hope. There's peace. There's all of this for you. And he picked us to be the ones to send that message. We're the ones. You are the diplomat in the kingdom of God. The person next to you is the diplomat in the kingdom of God. They represent this kingdom. God's making his appeal to a hurting and lost and broken world through you and through me. Let's go back to what I said in the beginning. What if we actually believed that was true? And what if we actually believed that the people next to you are every bit as much of in Christ as you are? And that the world needs to see you and the person you're at odds with in the family of God to actually be united because Jesus says they will know you're my Christian. You'll know you're Christians. You'll know you're my followers by your love for one another. What if we actually just said, oh, that's how it works? I believe so much that your friends, your family, your coworkers, those who do not know Christ, the most compelling, convincing argument that there's something special about Christ is the love that Christians can have for one another. I think it's just amazing. And you look around the globe this morning, there's billions, you know, billions of people singing 
praises to Jesus in different languages and cultures, and they're doing it differently. And it, 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 if you put us all together, and one day we will all be together in glory, and then no one's going to say, hey, that's not my favorite song. Why are you singing that song? Or I, I like it better when someone else leads worship. That's just, those questions are gone. Because we're together and we're in love for one another because of what Christ has done. Doesn't that sound good to anyone? I have to admit, leading a church, I wrestle with that idea of being a part of the global kingdom because there's so much thought in my mind. Well, I want our church to be amazing. And I do. I want us to do a good job. But I look around at other churches and think, oh, I hope people don't, I hope they didn't hear that worship. That was awesome there. They might all go there now. Who's speaking over there this week? Oh, no. I hope no one finds out from Seacoast because that's, that's way better. In fact, I'm going to watch it when I get home. That's fantastic. And there's this pressure like, oh, I need to protect this church. But you know what? The church isn't meant to be, God never designed it and said, oh, it's about having the best worship, the best teaching, the best whatever. It's about being a broken group of people who are compelled in love by the love of Christ, walking together, loving one another, and bringing the message of Jesus to the world. That's the church. And I think if Paul showed up today and said, hey, let me see what these churches look like 2,000 years after I planted them, he'd be like, what, the, what is this? This is what you got out of this? This is how you figured it out? And I get it, culture changes and we do things the best we can. I think the early church just said, oh my goodness, Jesus is in our presence. And so now I'm next to someone who two weeks ago we were enemies, but we're in Christ now. And we're worshiping the same God, and so we're sharing a meal, and we're loving each other. And we're bringing this message to our neighbors who need to hear it because Jesus said, go make disciples. And they actually kind of read these words and said, this is, this is real. Let's do something. So how do we respond, or what do we do? Um, I, I do believe, you know, as a church, it's not just show up and it's just organic. Like, we have structure. We want you to grow. I want you to show, I'm going to show you an image. We call this our discipleship path. This is our desire for all of you. And I want to first admit this. No, there is no linear path of faith, okay? So when we say discipleship path, no one grows like step by step, right? Our p discipleship path goes like this. It's all over the place. One day you're like close to Christ. The next day we don't know what, what, who you are. But in general, we want to help you move from, people move from not interested in the faith to being a disciple maker. And we all at some point are somewhere on this journey, right? In, in our desires, can we move someone from not interested to spiritually curious? Just to say, I'm open. I'm open to it. In fact, youth group is a place that often happens. Because there's guys who say, there's cute girls in the youth group, so now I'm spiritually curious. I'm, I'm interested. Maybe, maybe there's something to this. And, and so and it's, that technique has worked for years. So... But we want to help people move to the, to the point in their lives where they say, well, maybe I'm open, I'm interested. You know how that happens? That happens from our friendship and our, uh, the way we treat people, the way we treat one another, the way we treat people who don't believe. So we want to move them into that, and, and eventually the, you become a, a believer, you believe in Jesus, and then you're growing as a disciple. We don't think it's just show up and nothing ever changes. We think the Holy Spirit wants to change and shape and form us into something new. You are a new creation, but there's sometimes a lot of work that God has to do to get us there. Would you agree? 
And so that top part of it, too, is just kind of the steps of faith that we want everyone to take. We move from exploring faith to eventually being multiplying, to build, making disciples, launching new ministries, new campuses, new churches to reach more for Christ. Now, again, this isn't, this isn't a, a lin- it's not always a linear path, and some of us start. I know people who started becoming a Christian because they went on a mission trip to serve Christ. I'm like, you don't even believe, but you want to go down to Mexico with us? Cool. And they become a Christian in that process, and then they go start over, <laughs> which is great. But we want you to know as a church, we're thinking about you and your friends, and we want you to move toward being a disciple maker. That's what the church invites us to. So how do we respond? And a couple things today. A few thoughts for us based on all this. What do we do? One, let's start by, let's respond to the love of Jesus. Let's just rehearse that day after day. For some of you, you just want to start with, God, thank you so much that you love me and forgive me. You started every day with that. Just reminding yourself of that truth. In your darkest moment where you fall and you sin or you step away from God, just stop and say, God, I thank you for your grace in this moment. I thank you that you don't give up on me, even though I'm being an idiot right now. Such an amazing thing. Next thing we can do is ground yourself in the truth. This is what we want to help you with as a church. But we need to continue to ground ourselves in the truth. I, I, I've said this before, but church... Let's not use Instagram theology, okay? Is anyone okay with that? The, the, the truth that we get from social media is not actually truth, okay? It changes based on week after week. We want to ground ourselves in the truth that God gives to us, the truth in Scripture. And finally, let's join in the mission. And I'm going to invite the worship team to start making their way back up as we look at this response. But for us, we want to join in the mission that God has for us. I want to be a part of a community of people like you who say, we want, we want to see God move among us. When we hear that Jesus says, go make disciples, like, we actually want to believe that. We, we actually want to do that. What if we actually did what God has invited us to do? I want to be a part of that. I want to invite you to be a part of that. So join in the mission. Be ambassador for Christ. The world we live in needs the hope of Jesus. We need the hope of Jesus. And you are that hope. Christ in you. The person next to you is that hope. Christ in them. So would you pray with me? Would you stand as we end our time? And we're going to sing one final song. And let's just pray and invite and remind ourselves of just this amazing story that God invites us into. And wherever you're at here today, maybe you're hearing this for the first time. Maybe you're saying, preach it, I love this. Maybe you're wrestling with it. Let's just give it to God. So we'll just take a moment. Father, we thank you that you haven't called us and then left us without resources. I thank you that you've invited us into a life with you and you've empowered us by your spirit and you've even gifted us with other believers and Christians. You've gifted us with Bible to, to ground our lives in and I thank you, God. 
Lord, and here among our friends this morning, I, I admit, I confess on all of our behalf that there's times when we don't take you as seriously as you deserve. There are times when we read your word and it doesn't compel us or change us because we're busy, maybe confused, distracted. But Lord, we confess that we fall short, but we are so grateful that we fall on you every time. So would you awaken our hearts? Would you shake us from our slumber? God, would you help us as a church to unite together in love, to bring the hope and the peace to a hurting and lost world? So Lord, we lay our hearts before you now. We give you this time as we respond. In Jesus' name.